Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who's all American. He's star-spangled, uh-huh. so much so he scouted every hotel in Richmond, even though he lives <laughs> here. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. And you really didn't like it when I went to your apartment and checked it out while you yeah. were there. You seemed very upset by that. So this is not a hotel. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's just not etiquette, is it? We'll see who wins. <laughs> it's just not etiquette. So this is a USA versus England mm-hmm. World Cup semi final preview honestly words i never thought i would say in my entire life (laughs) Um, the game is wednesday july 2nd you got it uh um no you didn't get it tuesday july 2nd the game is tuesday july 2nd we're not gonna do that out are we um (laughs) kickoff is 3 p.m eastern over here Uh (laughs) that such as your level of enthusiasm such as my enthusiasm i pushed it back a whole day all right um so we are going to get into the tactics and the matchups mm-hmm. and the various one-on-one things that will be happening. We've got listener questions that you took from Twitter. Mm-hmm. I guess Twitter are questions. Yeah. Um, but first, let's start with the hotel nonsense. All right. Because it is nonsense. Is it, it, though, Daryl? Or is it a, a travesher mockery that's an affront to God and the Queen? It, it's nonsense, right? Yes. It's a thing Phil Neville said that he was. So here's what happened. Um, two U.S. staff members went to scout the Leon Hotel that England are staying in. And not that it's important, but since I'm American, I have to interject to say, I think it was the like team administrator and the assistant administrator. The yeah. point being that they were not like team officials, which is why, or like they weren't like a member of the coaching staff, which is yeah. the way it's been it sort of reported. Yeah, no, but like <laughs> the, you can see the the different bent. Sorry, I'm already going off on it, but like yeah, yeah. you can see the bent of the newspapers Already where it was like they weren't wearing their U.S. soccer like training staff kits, and it's like well they weren't part of the training staff, so they okay, wouldn't be. Okay, so there's no yeah. subterfuge, yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Phil Neville had said that he felt weird that the U.S. had been scouting out the Hotel England to stay mm-hmm. in. Because um, it's not really good etiquette to do that, essentially. Yeah, right. It's ours now. And then the Daily Mail picked it up. Yep. And kaboom. Mm-hmm. kaboom. And kaboom. English tabloids went wild with it of, of like England. Phil Neville criticizes US for like overstepping boundaries and all this sort of nonsense. Yeah, it was. It was one of my because uh, I do not read English tabloids necessarily. Me neither. It Except was, when I go home, I yell at my parents for reading them. That as well. You should. It's all kinds of fun. Because it was a good reminder of the sort of just like jumps in logic and states stated opinions as fact like the, my favorite one was like that they went near sensitive english training areas how would the D- daily mail know that there was like single like sensitive areas they don't I, honestly you can well, just make the leap of logic, logic of like yeah. oh england's sensitive training documents yeah. or whatever would be in that hotel somewhere. Therefore, they were near the sensitive training. And then, it, and then it goes on to like, but but like, no word yet as to if that will affect Phil Neville's game plan as to how he plans to prepare, <laughs> or if like the so-called spy gate, as they've now moved it into that one. It's a gate yeah. now. Uh, I mean, that Watergate one. was a hotel related thing. This right? is true. Yeah. Yes, yes, but it ends with him. I think. Was like, it actually ever got that wrong? Yeah, the Watergate Hotel. It's a Watergate Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. um, but it ends with like them saying like, and Phil Neville when asked about how it would impact his preparations, and then it's clear that they took a quote where he was just asked about how he was preparing for the game yeah. and made it as though he was responding to how will you prepare now that they have your sensitive materials. Yeah. We're going to change Lucy Bronze's position. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which we'll, might. Talk, which yeah. we'll talk about later, but there are very yeah. different reasons for why they may uh-huh. do that. I want to give the... Um, this is very a Total Soccer Show thing, mm-hmm. right? We want to get away from the tabloid madness and explain why the US were doing that, right? right? So this semifinal is in Lyon. Because they're right? spies. The semi-final is in Lyon. The final will be mm-hmm. in Lyon. Right. Um, right. Because England are the designated home team, like in quotation marks, because one team is always listed first, uh, you get first pick of the FIFA-approved hotels. They chose the better one, mm-hmm. which is the one England are in right now. Right. Yep. If the US progresses, yep. they go to the final, um, which means they will be, and they'll be the designated home team, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Um, so they get first pick of the Lyon 
hotels. Yep. So the US has a decision. Assuming they go through, if they go through, they have a decision to make. Do we stay in this not quite as good, like second choice hotel that we're in now because mm-hmm. it's comfortable and we're familiar with it? Or do we move to this slightly better hotel that England have been in? Right. That's a big decision to make, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the semi-final is July 2nd. Yeah. The final is July 7th. So this mm-hmm. is a fast decision you've got to make. So why not pre-plan for it and then that decision's made so you know as soon as you win you know okay we're going to this hotel yeah. tomorrow instead of having a scramble to make that decision it gives comfort to the players to know where they go I know I'm going off on a rant here, no it's fine because I can I can add some more to it if yeah. you'd like and, then, and if you lose mm-hmm. then okay you don't have to worry about it yeah. but if you win you've already got stuff in place that's just good planning and good preparation yeah. also speaking of good planning the other thing that's kind of glossed over there is that they were being escorted around the hotel by hotel staff mm-hmm. as in being given a tour in case they did end up being able to stay there or right. wanting to stay so there so it's not the North Korea tour right yeah exactly yeah. perfect <laughs> you only see what they want you to see yeah <laughs> but like I, I am now excited for when they do the like pre-match walkthrough and they check out every part of the field the teams do and then that gets reported as like US spying on England's half <laughs> <laughs> and England's half yes <laughs> and then the other thing from Phil Neville's perspective mm-hmm. is because they're already in theoretically the best hotel because yeah. they got the first pick. If they win the semi-final, they stay yeah. for the final. Obviously, you just keep all the stuff in your rooms you're in. Yeah, exactly. Right? You just stay where you are. Except it's been compromised. And the United States now has the <laughs> blueprints to the building. And Alex Morgan is swinging from the rafters and Mission Impossible style. <laughs> so have we put that to bed? I, I guess so. Can we talk about the actual soccer? I don't know if we can. I think we need some more controversy. We, we don't, do we? Well, uh, actually, weirdly, if this is what you're really into, uh-huh. listener, we'll get back to this when we get to the Twitter questions. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> More, more more hotel gate content to come. Mm-hmm. So should we jump to the questions or is there anything you wanted to get to before we go to the questions? Oh, there's all kinds I want to talk about right. with uh, with just me and you. I okay. want to talk about the tactical matchups okay. in this game. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about sort of how England are very much a front foot team. Move move the ball quickly out of the back, attack. Um, they they counter press and press high. Yeah. They kind of play like the US players, mm-hmm. right? So my my basic, it's more of a tactical point. It's just I think this is going to be a fireworks filled game. I think it will be too. Uh, Hope Solo writing for, I believe, The Guardian uh, yep. wrote that like there was a blueprint for how to beat the United States and it was go direct, put the United States backline under pressure uh, and kind of – and then also a key part of winning, according to Hope Solo, was uh, not letting the United States score. So that's – you know, <laughs> England, I hope, know that part. She, she has a point in about not letting them score early. Yes. Because at least because that is something the U.S. has a track record of in mm-hmm. this tournament. Right? Yes. Yeah. So then they can bunker. So you don't want them yeah. to do that. Which um, honestly should inform England's tactics of like England like to go for it, but maybe – first 15 minutes would be a time to let's not go wild here. let's not send our fullbacks too high too soon and let Megan Rapuno score in the first five minutes yes. she keeps doing that and well here's <laughs> the thing though and again this maybe is gamesmanship who knows but Phil Neville came out and said no we're not going to do that we know we play a certain way we're not going to change our tactics yeah. we're going to play that certain way but that's very big picture right uh-huh. we can we're going to play that certain way but then we're also going to make tweaks within exactly. it I'd even say good evidence is we were wondering why uh, Greenwood the left back mm-hmm. didn't start against who England beat in the quarterfinals Norway, Norway. Uh, why didn't Greenwood start why was it Demi Stokes mm-hmm. instead and it turns out it's because Demi Stokes is yep. not as gifted going forward much better defensively right. so they still play the same style but he made a little defensive mm-hmm. tweak right so you can expect maybe the same thing from phil neville against the united states i would say on that Fair? side on the other side in terms of the england fullbacks we might see a little bit of uh of experimentation there potentially yeah do you want to talk about that okay sure. so england's big strength in mm-hmm. all the games so far has been nikita paris at right wing she's dangerous on her own right she's got moves she can go past you she gets good crosses in she's even like cuts in and has strikes at goal behind her to begin with 
is Lucy Bruns. Yep. I would argue the best right back in the world. Really dangerous going forward. Like really, really dangerous. She has acceleration. She has like this real heavy competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just has the smarts to know when to drift in field, when to drift outside and to really make the most of all the, the opportunities that opposition might present. When she teams up with Nikita Paris, that is murder down that right side. I agree with all of that. I'm just confused though did you mean the second best right back in the world behind Kelly O'Hara or is that not a thing that you meant to say I, I mean like, based on what I've seen honestly I think Lucy Bronze is the best right back in the world I, I, think, you're, seen, I think you're probably right I haven't yeah. seen like the entire breadth mm-hmm. of women's soccer there may be someone else out there that I don't know about but yeah. even the consensus seems to be Bronze is the best right back in the world, right? Behind Kelly O'Hara. Yes. So, um, no, but I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think uh, Lucy Bronze has been... Kelly O'Hara seems more fun. I'll say that. <laughs> Lucy Bronze seems so yeah. like, intense and competitive yes. that I'm not sure she would be uh, a good person to hang around with. And, but she'd be a good person to have on your team if you want to yes, win. Absolutely. But the question is, where do you have her on your team? Yeah, so has, I haven't seen this quote, but you've mm-hmm. seen it. Neville has mentioned that... I've got some decisions to make. I'm, there's a chance I move Lucy Bronze into central midfield. Yes, basically because uh, in the... It's sheep- a Philip Lahm type thing, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, well, yes, if Philip Lahm had done really well against the team they were meeting in the, in the mm-hmm. semifinal because that's basically the argument here is that the United States uh, and England drew 2-2 two to two in the She Believes Cup this year. March 2019? Uh, that Ish. sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I have it right in front of me. I could probably yeah. tell you... I like being validated. There we go. Uh, yes, March 2nd. There right. we are, my friend. You just made it. Could you please stamp this? I will not stamp this. <laughs> <laughs> the, the napkin that you couldn't pull out from underneath the bottle of Pellegrino? No, I will I mean, not. I think I made a good decision <laughs> not pulling it out from under a half-full bottle of Pellegrino. Near a bunch of electronics? Yeah, yes. probably. Um, <laughs> yes, but in that game, uh, again, 2-2 two to two draw, yep. uh, it was Rachel Daly who started as the right back, and yes. Lucy Bronze was more of a holding midfielder, uh-huh. central midfielder for England. Alongside Walsh, right? So that was essentially yes. two... Defense, not defensive midfielders, but two defensively gifted midfielders. Because yes. the thing about Lucy Bronze, I talked a lot about mm-hmm. her overlap. The reason I think she's the best right back in the world is she's also a fierce defender and a smart defender. She's really hard to go past. So she's genuinely good in both directions. Yes, yeah. but I think the, the key thing here, though, for Phil Neville was basically that Daly did a really good job of shutting down Megan Rapino in yeah. that game, um, who did score, but it was sort of a, I would say a worldly. It's like like off of a head of oh, clear chest that volleys it. Volley from distance. Right I don't really there. blame Daly for that one. Uh-uh. Um, but I think the idea maybe for Phil Neville will be that Megan Rapinoe, at least what we, from what we saw in the France game, was of the front three. It was like Alex Morgan and then Megan Rapinoe was the second highest U.S. player. Yeah. So if she's going to stay further up the field, maybe that would be with an eye towards like keeping Lucy Bronze back or making yeah. her worry about Megan Rapinoe so she's not quite as involved in the attack. So yeah. if you go with Rachel Daly there instead, you put Lucy Bronze in the middle, now she can kind of control the game a bit more without having to worry specifically about Megan Rapinoe. So it's not so much about like Lucy Bronze can't defensively yeah. handle Rapinoe, because she could, right? If she was just told stay back and Certainly. defend Rapino, mm-hmm. that would be honestly the best chance of neutralizing Rapino. Yeah. But then you lose one of your best attacking weapons, mm-hmm. which is just everything Lucy Bruns can do, including that goal from outside the area yeah. um, against Norway. But who loses out? Because we've been really impressed with Walsh, right? I think she's been really good uh, defensively and like really smart on the ball yep. and really good at holding possession. And then you've got Jill Scott is the other midfielder. And England play a 4 2 3 run, right? So there's really only two spots mm-hmm. here um, up for grabs. Jill Scott, she's five foot eleven. She wins all those flick-ons and she scored against Norway, right? She makes all these good passing mm-hmm. decisions going forward. Someone would have to lose out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this is where um, I-, I will answer that question, but I'll say this is where I think we'll see what kind of a coach Phil Neville is because I do think 
if you want to kind of go as she believes, now the United States was a little bit experimental there, so grain of salt. They but were back three and wingbacks, exactly. Right? Yeah. But if if you want to incorporate the she believes like uh, success in the two two draw, then I think it makes sense to go daily and move bronze into the midfield. But what I think some coaches do at that point is they look at their squad and they think, well, okay, but I don't really want to lose uh, Walsh. I don't want to lose Jill Scott. So maybe Tony Duggan, who didn't start the tournament, I'll just put one of them out wide, and then I'll have all three of them in there. And like you can, yeah, yeah. you can, or you, Frank Kirby, you maybe sacrifice the attacking yeah. mids of Frank and you have three defensive mids, but then you've changed your whole shape exactly. and Neville said he's not doing that. And so if he does do that, I think that's a sign that the United States really has the advantage. My guess would be that if he goes Lucy Bronze, I think it is probably Kate Walsh who loses out and Jill Scott continues to start yeah. alongside Lucy Not Bronze. Not least because that height in midfield yep. is... Uh, you you can't replicate it unless you have two players stand on each other's shoulders, mm-hmm. right? You've got to have if you want to. Maybe win, that's how you do it. Put them in a trench coat because England sometimes go long from Bardsley to midfield. Jill Scott flick on, and yeah. then we're away, right? That's a, a thing that England do, right? Yeah. And on the flip side, I know how we, we're going to integrate these two talks. Sam Mewis is the US's tallest midfielder. I think. I mean, this is a bigger argument we're going to get into at some point, right? A bigger discussion. Let's mm-hmm. say that. I think you have to start Sam Mewis because she's 5'10", 5'11". Uh, she is the only US player who can compete with Jill Scott in the air and make her life difficult. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and then if that ends up being the case, then you're making the United States maybe worry about your players in a way that maybe yeah. they wouldn't if you didn't make some of these changes. So uh-huh. I think that's why that makes sense to me. But obviously you are have more on the line when it comes to England. I know that yeah. you're you're kind of splitting loyalties here, but I am curious. I really am 50-50. I've yeah. got a team in the World Cup final. I'm just going to enjoy this one. You can hear the glee in my voice. I can't I, lose. I can. I can stay in all the hotels. And I know that you believe it. <laughs> I, I don't believe you, but I appreciate that you're trying to believe that that's the case for you. <laughs> Um, but I would ask then, what, what would you like to see or what do you think they'll do? So if, if England are trying to win the game, mm-hmm. I think the answer is keep the Lucy Bronze-Nikita Paris combo okay. down the right. But just tell Lucy Bronze, all right, first 15, be a bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. And then maybe as the game progresses, then start picking your spots to go forward. But just don't let the US get that early lead by overcommitting and getting too far forward and leaving Rapino with space in behind. I know I'm not breaking new ground here when I say that it's really difficult to be an interna- international manager, but it's this type of thing that like... It's an impossible I choice, think, right? I think, and, and I, I guess I want to I focus on that for a second though because I think it's so easy to look at like a FIFA style, football manager style, plug and play, of like, well, put this person in and that should do it, right? Yeah. Lucy Bronze, stay home and be defensive in those first 15 minutes. But say the United States still finds a way to score. Then has Phil Neville gotten it completely wrong? Has it blown their whole game plan? Because now, well, actually, we need you to stay more defensive, even though the whole game plan was built on you coming back out in the first 15. And that's even like a tiny little nuance of a potential hypothetical. Yeah. And it, and it speaks to... You've got to be a good general and a lucky general exactly. at the same time. You can get the tactics right yep. and still lose the game. I agree. That's a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I would argue for is, I think Demi Stokes, if she is better defensively than Greenwood, maybe also go more conservative on that side and have Demi Stokes up against Tobin Heath. Because... Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know enough about Greenwood's defending, but if we just go with the concept that Demi Stokes is better, uh, then you want someone who can hold Tobin Heath up, right? Can stop her in her tracks at least a little bit. You don't want someone who's going to get, like, uh, a couple of stepovers and they fall over, or a couple of stepovers and they've gone the wrong way, like Jordan Morris did the other night, Uh, (laughs) and you bite on it, and then Tobin Heath is suddenly in behind, and you're in all sorts of trouble. Agreed. Fair? Yes. Um, Also, Demi Stokes is from Dudley, which is very near where I'm from, so I'm pro Demi Stokes. (laughs) I figured some local reference. Figure we'd get in there at some yeah, point. Yeah. Um, we were both surprised to go back and see that she believes game because England were in a more or less conventional four four two. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance they do that against the United States, or would you expect no, someone to drop into the midfield? I would guess, much like the United States in March, they were experimenting mm-hmm. with various shapes and sizes to see what works. What's worked for England is the four two three one. 
um, with Frank Kirby underneath a striker instead of alongside a striker, which is what happens in the four four two. So my guess is that we see England in a four two three one. Okay. Yeah. And then in I'd the- be wild surprised if they did anything different. Wild surprised. Yeah. You're preparing to hang out with the Cooligans, aren't you? I'm just inventing new phrases. Live show July thirteenth. <laughs> R- oh yeah. R- R- not RFK. Whoops. That, that would have been very wrong. Don't yeah, go. To don't RFK. go to RFK. It's, get attacked by raccoons. There's, there's nothing there. <laughs> nothing there except danger. Yeah. Um, and maybe Magneto. Um, go to <laughs> Audi Field July thirteenth. Yeah. $20 plus an inconvenience fee. Link will be in the show notes. Right. Tickets are selling, right? I they think are. we're past halfway. Oh, boy. Once we get sold out, we're probably sold out. Like, unless they move us to an even bigger venue, I think if you've got to get your ticket if you want to be there. All right, All right. so get your tickets. Yeah. Uh, and then Link it- will be in the show notes, right, editor? Yeah, sure. Uh, and so uh, we would assume that Steph Houghton already has her uh, ticket booked to the starting 11 uh, as oh, yeah. one of your two center backs. It was McManus against uh, the United States in the She Believes. It has obviously been Bright uh, in this World Cup. Yeah. But Bright had her kind of distribution issues in moments against Norway, looked a little bit shaky at times against Norway. Yes. Which of those two would you rather see or which one do you think it will be? Honestly, I don't have enough data on mm-hmm. either of them. I'm massively impressed with Houghton. I'd love to talk about what Houghton can do because I think that's a threat to the United okay. States. I haven't seen enough or paid enough attention to Bright or McManus to know which one I think should start. Like, okay. I know Bright had what we called the Brightmare yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes where every pass was off target or mm-hmm. she was tackled and she gave up possession. I'm not sure that's enough to say, oh, she's no good, get rid of her. You know, right. I, mean, I think if Neville has been, I think he's mostly been selecting Houghton and Bright as the starting partnership. Didn't McManus come in when we rotated a little bit towards the end of the group stage? Mm-hmm. So my guess would be Bright. And I don't have a strong enough opinion to like argue for one or the other. All right. Fair enough. Do you want to talk about Steph Houghton now or should we do that after we talk about today's sponsor? Let's talk about today's sponsor. All right. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Hims. Hello. Uh, 4hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. That has not been a problem for Phil Neville. I don't think that said, he does seem to face the camera a lot. I don't see the back of his head in press conferences, <laughs> so I don't keeps, know what to think. I think he keeps it hidden. Seems very suspicious. If to he me. starts wearing a hat, then we'll then we'll then know. we'll know. Yeah, if suddenly he he, he abandons the the vest, but instead has a hat on, <laughs> something's up. We've been talking about sort of you know potential problems yeah. that the US or England could have, and we've talked about how it's really hard to find the solution. Right? Mm-hmm. Does Bronze do this or does Bronze do that? We don't know what the correct solution is. With hymns, it's kind of it's kind of straightforward. If your hairline is slowly starting to move backwards and you're seeing some bold spots, mm-hmm. there is a solution, and the solution is. Forhims.com. That's right. At forhims.com, you will get medical grade solutions backed by science. If only Phil Neville could get those for his team. Yeah, then yeah. he would know. It's all backed yeah. by science. He knows exactly yeah. how things are going to work. A medical grade defender that can stop Alex Morgan. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. Uh, I hope he's not giving his players those because uh. those definitely won't work and might fail the drug testing. <laughs> but with Forhims, you will not fail the drug testing because, again, they have medical grade solutions that are backed by science. You also, um, unlike when you're doing the drug test at the end of a soccer game, there are no awkward in person doctors. or long lines the players I've heard players complain about they have to wait for other players to do do the drugs test first so yeah 4hims connects you to real doctors online and that saves you hours and very likely saves you a lot of money there we are so our listeners can get started with uh, the hims complete hair kit for just $5 today right now while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval I like like the emphasis you put on the right now right now yeah right now this very moment (laughs) or I guess when you're listening to this but even so right now Uh, see website for full details and safety information 
This could cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. So go to forhims.com slash total sucker. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total sucker. Forhims.com slash total sucker. Thank you very much to Forhims for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Steph Houghton for apparently being the best indirect free kick taker in the world. Oh, because when we watched the She Believes Cup 2 yeah. 2 draw, she again scored an indirect free kick after a picked up back pass. Uh, Is this her specialty? Does I she know how so. to do this? I mean, I've seen her do it against US and I've seen her do it against Cameroon um, in the round of 16. I'm going to say it makes sense because we've seen her, uh, in contrast to the Bright Mare, uh, Steph Houghton has looked very calm and composed throughout this competition. She's been the one to sort of make like strong defensive plays occasionally going to ground if she needs to but it seems very well timed but also kind of makes good covering runs makes the smart decision uh there was the one against uh norway i believe where she kind of like turns in her own box under yeah, pressure really and calm. and i think then it makes sense I think that she picks out passes and yeah. breaks lines better than any other england defender one of the best in the tournament i think yeah. at making those forward passes but if you've got a whole bunch of defenders sprinting at you at full speed after the indirect free kick is taken but you're used to a bunch of attackers running at you at full speed yeah, yeah. maybe you just calmly hit the ball and know exactly where to put it <laughs> so one of the keys to the US is don't give away indirect free kicks yeah, don't pass the ball back to your goalkeeper yeah listen I don't pick it up unless mm-hmm. you're 100% sure because the Adrian French yeah. uh, moment it's an accidental back pass right it's meant to be a pass back to from midfield to US I think defenders. it's Alex Morgan I think is the one who right. it back she's definitely passing it to a defender right yep. but then like a defender either lets it run or misses it mm-hmm. so it goes through to French to me it shouldn't have been a, an indirect free kick at all but don't give refs opportunities to give those free kicks because I mean, they will absolutely I mean, it's them. a pass backwards that gets picked up by the goalkeeper under pressure but I think there's a weird like grey area where it's got to be like an intentional pass from one player to the keeper you know what I'm now, saying now you're just trying to cover yourself now you're just trying to sound like you're not a, a, pro, a pro England person here I am uh-huh. genuinely arguing both sides of this because <laughs> I, I'm interested in both sides uh, so yes maybe just don't give Steph out the indirect free kick shooting yes. opportunity but mm-hmm. here's the thing I'd like to talk about from a US perspective sure the big thing for England is they pass out of the back, mm-hmm. right? They And they build from the back and they do it quickly. They move the ball really fast and it'll be like they zip it out to Lucy Bruns or Houghton, breaks the lines through midfield and finds, say, Kirby or the striker Ellen White. Um, but the thing we noticed is no one put England under pressure Mm-mm. ever. In the group stage, no one pressed them. Cameroon didn't press them. Norway, who we thought would do the locust thing and go out and press them hard and make it hard, first half they sat back yep. and paid the price for it. Second half, when they're desperate, right? They're 2-0 down at half time. They started to press England. And that's when the bright mare happened. So the only half of soccer, we've seen a team press England as they confidently try to play out of the back. England got into some trouble. I think that's the key to the game for the United States. I agree. Uh, I agree in terms of pressing England out of the back. But I also think making England nervous, especially with their back line, is the other thing that Norway did in moments. And that's what stands out to me is that when Norway went direct and long balls over the top, England were happy with that. Yeah, they were happy to win those in the air. Up, right, headed yeah. away, yeah. No or worries. or, or uh, Bardsley comes out, collects, and it's no problem. Yeah. When Norway did get chances, even in the first half, was when they combined a few quick passes, pulled some players out of position. Houghton comes out, tries to make a play. She gets beat with just a quick cut. But I think that's because they hadn't necessarily been having to deal with that. And I think if yeah. the United States goes at them and makes that defense uncomfortable, that is a vulnerability that can easily be exploited. And then the interesting thing on the other side is England press, right, when you have the that's ball. True. So there's a massive challenge of... Can the U.S. play through that? Because mm-hmm. they haven't really been pressed either. Right? France didn't press them, right? They're just not a pressing mm-hmm. team. So that's why I'm th- really excited for this game because there's pressure at both ends of the field unless one team has a drastic change of approach. Mm-hmm. And it's really going to be like, can Sauerbrunn and Dalkamper and, uh, combine with Ertz and play their way through that? Or 
are the US in trouble when England press them? Mm-hmm. I think that stuff's going to be fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I think this might be really strangely like the most fascinating game of the tournament so far. And I include USA France in that because yeah. I think with France, there were so many differing strengths and vulnerabilities. And there were some questions we had about like who starts where for, for France. In this game, it seems like because England is really similar in a lot of what they want to do, but also has a lot of very talented players, I think it's gonna it makes for a lot of really compelling matchups. I think Ellen White versus that back line. Yeah. Again, there's been a lot of talking points about how the back line is slow and the United States will struggle with pace. Maybe that's true, but that feels a bit increasingly like a talking point that yeah. kind of gets spouted as opposed mm-hmm. to a thing that has been categorically proven. And Ellen White's not that quick anyway, right? That's no, not what her game is based on. But I think Ellen White, what we've seen from her, is being crafty. She keeps yes. finding space in the box. Yes, she has the bad miss in the very beginning against Norway. Jill Scott oh, makes you mean up that, for that it. Perfect dummy that she Yeah, did. exactly. Perfect. <laughs> but what I've noticed about her is her She's a lucky general in that sense. Yeah. yeah. But she keeps popping up. At a certain point it goes from luck to like, oh, it's a thing that she is very skilled at is finding little pockets of space yep. and also being able to drift away from defenders in those moments when they should be locked in but aren't. It's going to be Sabron and Dalcamp yep. like having to pass her back and forth and communicate mm-hmm. and she'll drift maybe to O'Hara and then you have to communicate with O'Hara yep. who's possibly double teamed and yeah it's going to be but I have faith after what I saw against France from the mm-hmm. US back line I have a lot of faith in that back line in terms of communication and organization. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I would say then, though, that like if you have those two center backs worried about Ellen White, we then go to the like wings where you're probably going to have Tony, Dun- Tony Duggan and Nikita Paris. Yep. And we saw Crystal Dunn. There's an do- outside chance is Beth Mead on the left, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I would guess Tony Duggan and Nikita Paris. But with Nikita Paris, especially, like we saw Crystal Dunn do well against uh, Gianni for France. Yep. We saw her handle. Yeah, we saw the, but we saw her handle the pace yep. of those two players. And I, and I didn't feel like Gianni and Cascarino did a good job of exploiting their technical ability and using some of the trickery. When they did, that is when I felt like Crystal Dunn did struggle a little bit. Yeah. That she would, well, she, she would get beat, and then, but then she would get back the other exactly, side. Yeah. Exactly. But this is one where I feel like Nikita Paris, maybe if she uses a bit more trickery and then uses that pace... There could be vulnerabilities there as or well. Or uses like a late arriving Lucy Bronze. Yeah. One of the things I didn't mention about Lucy Bronze, she tends to have a, a sprint from distance yep. and she'll just appear out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that that could take a lot of people by surprise, right? It could, yes. Yeah. So I think there's going to be really, really compelling matchups all over the field. Yes. Uh, and I'm very excited to talk about them. But I'm also very excited to answer some questions. Should we do that first? Um, there's one more thing I want to talk all about right. is the U.S. starting midfield. Okay. Because that's always the big Well, we do question. have that question in there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Then, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, why don't we start with uh, Haley Saris, uh, who asks, how is Dunn possibly going to hold down the left uh, with Paris there and Bronze giving her service? I, so we're assuming it's Bronze and Paris. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we learned against France mm-hmm. that Dunn really can do it, right? Yep. She can handle um, really dangerous right wingers. I think the thing we saw was when she was double teamed, when Tarant got mm-hmm. forward and Rapino didn't track back because she was told to stay high or one of the, like, the uh, midfielders was slow getting over there. That's when she got in trouble. Um, I would argue Bronze is much more dangerous than uh, Torrance yep. and much more likely to get into the attack. I agree. So I think the key to Dunn holding down the left is that she gets help. And right. I think it may be that Rapino is going to have to work back a little more or it may be like the left sentiment is going to have to come over a little more. England need a plan for that side. The other danger is Bronze's interior runs, which is going to be like, mm-hmm. will Rapino track it all the way back to like a defensive midfield spot or does she get passed off in that way so again it's going to be about communication and the correct person picking up the the late threat from Lucy Bronze I agree and I I really did like going into this think that it should be Lucy Bronze starting in central midfield now I think if you're if you're a fan of England maybe you do want Lucy Bronze on the right side at yeah. right back because I did, as we saw against France, Tobin Heath dropped way back and did a really good job of, of helping deal with uh, Marjorie and Eugene Le Sommer. 
but I don't know if Megan Rapinoe has the the fitness and like the legs to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, not questioning Megan Rapinoe's fitness, she can certainly yeah, run yeah. a lot more than I can. Which arguably you could argue it's a waste of her energy, right? Because yeah. you want her to focus all her energy on attacking. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you would argue that about Tobin Heath, and she did that. I guess my question is, does Megan Rapinoe do that as well? Or yeah, to your point, do you have a midfielder slide over? But then that creates opportunities for England's yeah. midfield. So how the United States goes about dealing with that? If we do see Lucy Bronze and Nikita Paris on that right hand side, that that to me is more interesting than. That one, or more disconcerting if you're a U.S. fan than that one v one matchup between yep. Paris and Crystal Dunn. And the flip side is, what if the U.S. just gets really aggressive yep. and Crystal Dunn does her thing and she over overloads with mm-hmm. Rapino, uh, overlaps and overloads that side with Rapino, and now it's not just it's only is bronze pinned back and doesn't have chance to attack. Mm-hmm. Also, Nikita Paris is having to work back and go much farther defensively backwards than she wanted to. So the the other option is like. Offense is the best form of defense, kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? That's a, that is an option for the United States. It's it a is. risky one. It's a very risky but it would one. Make, again, would make the game real fun. <laughs> uh, that is true. I suppose <laughs> it is. Uh, I guess I'll ask the next one because okay. it seems like it goes straight to you. Oh yeah, yeah. Soccer never sleeps. Would like to know: Is Daryl all in on Team England? Yes. <laughs> and can England actually win? Yes. Or is the U.S. really in a tier of their own? Maybe. <laughs> yes. Those are much your answers. Yeah. I am all in on England. Yeah. I'm also all in on the United States, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I honestly think those two things can, can be true. Mm-hmm. The only thing that tips it towards the United States a little bit is, honestly, the United States going to a World Cup final is better for business mm-hmm. for the Total Soccer Show, yep. right? More, li- more listeners in America will be into the World Cup final than if it's England versus Netherlands or Sweden. Agreed. So it's like half like... I've seen the U.S. win a World Cup before, right? And it'd be a big thing to watch um, England try and win mm-hmm. the World Cup. But on the flip side, I want Total Soccer Show to do well. So even that stuff kind of balances itself. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm all in on England. I'm all in on the United States. I don't feel the need to explain that any further because it, at some point it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? You just keep arguing both ways. What's the second part? Uh, I'm trying to expand on it. Uh, Can is, England actually win? Oh, yes. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. I, you could argue England is a better team than France based on their performances so far. Mm-hmm. And France was a serious threat to the United States. Yep. I don't know if this England team is eventually going to be the best in the world. But right now, they seem to be like, I mean, literally top four semifinals, mm-hmm. right? So, yes, this is a, a realistic possibility that England can win, right? Yep. We have the technology. They do. And then <laughs> the to, talent to the question, and I agree with that, which I think may, answers the final question, which is like, is the United States in a tier of their own? I don't think they are, but I also think they're not until they are. If they win this World Cup, then yeah. yeah. If you win back-to-back World Cups, you're in your own elite tier. Yeah, the way, like, the way they won, the argument for it maybe is they won the World Cup in 2015 yep. uh, and like beat Japan heavily mm-hmm. in the first game. They're the only team that's had like a 13-0 blowout yep. in this tournament, right? Other teams got to play Thailand and didn't do that. Yes. They can use Sweden. <laughs> Um, and and also the way they handled the host nation yep. strongly favored US won I know France were yeah. st- offered some threat but the US won that game it may be that the US is in a tier of their own honestly we'll know after after the end of this World Cup if they kind of win it back to back yes the US is in a tier of their own right. but not until I'm the same answer as you right not until they've proven it not until yeah. they've proven it I like that one I'm going to keep going and ask you another question but I'm going to jump okay. way down the list to uh, Ryan Altenbach who asks is there any justification for not starting her around again or is Jill Ellis out of touch as Twitter makes her out to be the answer to the second part is no. Gilles is not as out of touch as Twitter makes her out to be. Mm-hmm. Twitter is not – it's a great place for emotions about national teams. It's not a great place for analysis. What, what do they say about the uh, the bar on Tatooine? It's uh, like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yes. It can be that on occasion. Twitter can be beautiful. It really can be wonderful when it helps you like stay up to date with an, like, a, like a movement that's happening or yeah. like something that you might have otherwise missed. But if you kind of pay attention to it too much – 
there can be a little bit of an echo chamber thing and yeah. it can be a little bit negative. Do you remember when the United States men's national team won a quarterfinal 1-0 and the trending hashtag was Bearhalter out? We're not, we're not going back to we're that. Not going back to we're that. not going back to but that. But I'm just saying that is a corollary yeah. to what happens with the Gillelis. Yes. I would also say, if you go back to 2015, listen to our shows from 2015. Mm-hmm. We are early on saying, we think Gillelis knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. The rest, I mean, essentially Twitter was saying, oh, what's she doing? The US looks terrible. This looks awful. They don't look like they've got anything going. We kind of... Stuck. We like stayed faithful, and we're like, I think she's got a plan. This all looks pretty solid to me. I think we could win the World Cup, and we were proved right in 2015. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. So, I, so I, that part of the question is answered. I think also the game against France proves that Gilles knows what she's doing. I, I, I agree. Questions answered. I agree, but I, I, I take issue with one thing there though. Is like, like. In as much as you would say, like, if, if the United States has two bad games in one game, the one game doesn't control that. Like, they still had two two good games that we talked about and yeah. thought they were good, and then they had a bad game, fine. And I would flip that around and say, like, yes, she got it right against France, I think. That still is somehow a debate, but I think she got it right. But I think the United States had major issues against Spain, and I think there were reasons to doubt some of, this, some of the decisions she made there. Yeah. But I think if you were going to look at the France game and see the United States getting the result, and I would say... It, it was, in the end, a fairly comfortable result. I know that sounds nuts because of how nerve-wracking it was. Yeah, yeah. But like, That's fandom, right? And there's the Kelly yeah. O'Hara handball and everything like that that factors into it, but I still think that the game plan was right. Mm-hmm. So to and me, the 5-4-1 decision, I think, was right with mm-hmm. 30 minutes to go. See this out? Yep. Yeah. yeah. We can disregard and, people. And, and they looked yeah. well-drilled in the 5-4-1, despite mm-hmm. we've never really seen it on a in a game apparently they've practiced it a lot and that, there's a lot of, it's essentially me to me that is evidence of there's a lot of preparation going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. that we don't know about yeah people who write uh, tactically oriented opinion pieces for the Guardian who might have an axe to grind against Jill Ellis and the national team might have an axe to grind against Jill Ellis and the national team I'll yep. leave it there um, so what I say with and all that of that... that was not a shot at Caitlin Murray. Oh, it certainly so was can, not. You can deduce anything you want. From, you can yes. deduce the correct answer from that. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> Caitlin Murray is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll mention her again in a moment. Um, but I say all that to say that would I like Lindsay Horan to start? Oh, yeah, Me that's the actual question, right? Yes, I would. But I am not going to be upset if she doesn't because I, I think at this point Jill Ellis deserves to sort of like have her, her decisions backed. And if it doesn't go well, then we can talk about it. I'm not going to then be like, I told you so. It should have been Lindsay Horan because yeah. if I did that, I would have been wrong in the last game because it feels like she got it more or less right. So I think the argument to be made about like not starting Lindsay Horan is simply that Others maybe are ahead of her to steal uh, another line from a former national team manager, yeah. um, and that like maybe and she can sub on later and still be really influential. This is true. This yeah. is true. So again, I would I would like to see her start, but then it comes down to it's not going to be Julia who sits. We're not going to go to a back three, I don't think. So then, if you have Julia, we did do that in the Chiefs Cup, but we only tied that game two two, and we never really like stuck with that experiment, no. right? And it, it looked very it was, bad. It suggests it was an experiment. The results of the experiment were. Yeah. This doesn't work. Let's play four three three. But even if we did do that, then you still only have two central midfielders. So then maybe yeah, that's. So spot, if you right? do, I guess if you did that, then maybe it is Lindsey Horan and Sam Ewis. That makes more sense. Yeah. But otherwise, you're looking at two spots for Sam Ewis, Lindsey Horan, Rose Lavelle. I think Sam Ewis has played herself into Jill Ellis because Jill Ellis is good graces. And the really big thing we mentioned earlier is the aerial threat of Jill Scott. Yep. The counter to that is the aerial threat of Sam Ewis. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would bet good money that Sam Ewis starts this game. I'm happy. I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There's a reason. There'll be a reason why it's not Sam Ewis. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense to me that she starts this yes. game. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it, I think we, we, we keep going back to this because the other uh, midfielder there is Rose Lavelle, who I, yeah. I think maybe if, if it's going to be Lindsey Rand, then Rose Lavelle lo- le- loses out. Yeah. But I would rather so have. would be upset about I say I would because I think I, I love Rose Lavelle. You I think she, she's, one, she's one of my favorites. Yeah. But it's also because I think 
again, going back to the Norway game, when they were able to like have a technical playmaker on the ball who combined quickly and found open spaces. Norway versus England. Yeah, that's yeah. when England got pulled out. That feels like Rose Caroline Lavelle. Graham Hansen was the one sort yep. of threat to England, the semi-consistent yeah. threat to England, yeah. I would be more okay with it being Haran over Mewis, but I think that's where my knowledge of like the NWSL and the women's national team drops off a little bit, if yeah. I'm totally honest. like yeah, You haven't seen that much of me. Exactly. I yeah. know there are people out there who, who swear by Sam Mewis, who love Sam Mewis, who think she should be starting every single game. Yeah. But the thing she is, might be one of them. but there are also people who feel that exact same way about Rose Lavelle. There are people yep. who feel that way about Lindsay Horan. There are people who feel that way about Jill Ellis. And they're all going to be vocal and on Twitter. Yep. Okay, here, I want to talk about some people I disagree with. Right. It's the people who think the solution to getting everybody in midfield is to drop Becky Sauerbrunn and get Juliet's in the back. I think the way Becky Sauerbrunn organized the defense against France yep. and that offside line was mwah, mm-hmm. perfect, right? Chef's kiss perfect um, because of Becky Sauerbrunn's organization. If you're willing to lose that just to get yeah. everybody that you like in the team, that is essentially um, a failure of backbone, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I kind of respect Jill for having the backbone to be like, no, what we need to do is make a tough decision and leave out someone like Lindsay Horan if the situation calls for it. That's mm-hmm. a big call and she made it. I wouldn't be surprised if she makes it again. Uh, nor would I. But I would then like to see proactive change based on what's happening and pre-planned changes if the game is going according to plan. Yeah. What I don't like want to go back to, time. I, again, that, that's really the one that I have a hard time shaking uh, from USA Spain, is that sort of lack of a reaction. And I know she said, oh, we're going into it and second wins. And I kind of dismissed that. That felt a little bit like coach talk to me <laughs> for like, yeah, I didn't really know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and if we find ourselves in a nil-nil one-to-one game in the 65th minute and the United States hasn't started making substitutions, that's where I am going to get nervous okay. and that's where I do want to see some change. I will say this. I think one of the biggest failures of Jill Ellis is her sort of PR savviness in press conferences. Yeah. I don't think she gives answers that make people happy. No. And I think she sort of doesn't care <laughs> and maybe that's okay. But uh, she she doesn't give the answers that like, Put people at ease. See, I, I, I kind of disagree with you oh, yeah? in the sense that, like, if you don't care, you don't care. And uh-huh. I think of, like, like I asked Louis Van Hall a question. He did not care, and it was very clear. Like, if you don't care, you say, like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Move it on. Like, he, but he famously prefers scuffed to the total soccer. Well, that's totally true. <laughs> and probably is true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you don't care, you don't answer the questions. Or you give very, like, yeah, we thought it was good. Next, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she tries to give informative answers. Oh, you think maybe she's just not good at it? Without, but I think she also doesn't want to give too much away. She doesn't. It's again, it's it's the tightrope you have to walk. Of mm-hmm. you want to try to inform, so it makes it clear that you know what you're talking about, and you're not just guessing. But you also don't want to give anything away because then you're giving stuff away. But you also don't want to throw the te- your like players under the bus. Yeah, 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 and so you can't do that. Yeah, you don't want to say, oh, Lindsay's playing badly in training. Yeah, you don't say that because no. you damage her confidence. I mean, because it ruins the image of this like constant excellence of the United States. Exactly. Right? I'm and not saying that's what's happening, but I'm saying that is yeah. the thing that she would say even if it was happening. Exactly. But then, like, go back to the beginning of this show where if Jill Ellis comes out... We have out, to. We have to start over. We do. Whole thing. But <laughs> Just because I got the date wrong? If you go back to the tabloidy like aspect of things, that if somebody asks Jill Ellis in a press conference, why is Sam Mewis and Roosevelt, why are they starting over Lindsay Horan? And she says, well, you know, like, Lindsay kind of struggled to deal with this one part of what we were doing, so and these two did it better. That headline is, like, Lindsay Horan falling behind. Yeah, yeah. Or Lindsay Horan not good enough. Or Jill Ellis doubts Lindsay so Horan. Her, her actual answer is, I don't see it as a starting 11. I see it as a start in 14, 15. Yeah. And so and mm-hmm. like, that becomes like, 
she answers it, but she doesn't really answer it. Yeah. Right? And that is frustrating. That's the type of answer that makes people like go, yeah, gel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, so I, again, to, to go back to the question, is there any justification for not starting Lindsay Horan? Yeah, yes. but I think we maybe won't know it until the game happens. Yeah. And then afterwards, we'll find out if it was correct justification. That, I think that's fair. I know that's like a lame answer and a very way, wishy-washy way of not answering. Yeah. But I think I just, I honestly, for me, for my own like preservation, self-preservation, I don't want to get into it where I'm like, it has to be Lindsay Iran, yeah. because as soon as you start like firmly saying it has to be this, it must be this, 100%, when mm-hmm. it's not, you're automatically going to be upset, and you're automatically going to be looking at it yep. with a negative lens of, that's not working, that's not working, that's not working, and I would much prefer to say, like, yeah, I think it should be Lindsey Horan. I'm not there coaching, I'm not there running training, yeah. let's see if Jill Ellis has an idea about why it wasn't Lindsey Horan. And yeah, so big picture is, the United States um, has multiple incredible soccer players, someone's always going to miss out, so if you get too attached to one of those players you're going to be disappointed. But mm-hmm. the reality is that player is being replaced with someone who is an excellent soccer player. This is very true. Right? So this isn't like the Zardes versus Altador or Sargent thing, right? Do you know this how is very you, different. Do you know how you won't be disappointed or depressed, my friend? Let me guess. Is it going to be if you eat HelloFresh? That is correct. <laughs> because today's episode is you brought that, to you by... You had that advertising look in your eyes. What? <laughs> did I change my voice to it? Daryl, did you know? Uh, yes, uh, today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. So HelloFresh does all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping for you so you don't have tough decisions to make. You mm-hmm. don't have four tasty ingredients and you can only choose three of them for the recipe. Mm. What happens is you get the exact ingredients that you need um, and you don't have to make tough choices. You just follow the step-by-step instructions and you've got a meal worthy of a magnificent starting 11. That's right. And if you're trying to get maybe a meal done uh, before the game starts, you can do it quickly mm. and easily or after the game if you want to get it done quickly as well. Yeah. You can do that too because so all meals come together. When, if you start when the broadcast starts, you'll definitely finish it in time. What do you mean? If the broadcast starts an hour before, start then. Ah, I see. You've got plenty of time to cook it and then eat it. That was confusing, but yes. Uh, <laughs> all meals come together in 30 minutes max, call for less uh, than two pots and pans, and require minimal cleanup. You've got to have at least two pots and pans, right? I would assume so. There you go. Yes. Yeah, they so don't send you those. That's the only thing they assume you have, right, is two pots and pans. Mm-hmm. They can't send you those every time. That would be wasteful. That is correct. <laughs> um, there are three plans to choose from. You can go classic, veggie, or family. Mm. I'm guessing you're, you're more of a classic man. I'm more of a veggie man. Mm -hmm. None of us are family men right now, but we may be in the future. Not so much. No, (laughs) we'd rather get more meals than uh, larger meals. Yes. So we we go the classic plan, but you can change it up uh, whenever your tastes may change. Yeah. You could like try being vegetarian, decide this is not for me, and then you can go back to it if you want. Um, You also can enjoy fun menu features with HelloFresh's dinner to lunch, 20 minute meals, gourmet and one pot wonders. That's right. And to get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and uh, enter the code TSS80. So once again, that was HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter TSS80. There we are. So thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. More questions, Mr. Grove? Oh, yeah. Let's answer some more questions. Where did we get to? Uh, We've done one, two, and seven. Let's go to the Baron Lord Snavington, a.k.a. Adam (laughs) Snavely, a.k.a. Snaves. Uh, Has Phil Neville's righteous hotel rage infected Daryl as of yet? So I just randomly was looking at Twitter this morning, didn't know that you'd put this question out there, Uh and I thought Snaves was just asking this question. So (laughs) I'm going to tell this is what I told him. Yes, I'm angry at everybody who books hotels. I am Airbnb for life. All right. 
Uh, that, that's that's a fair policy. Yeah. I'm glad you're not uh, full of rage. Yeah, and we're waiting for Airbnb to sponsor the show. All right. So while we wait for that, <laughs> let's go to maybe a more topical question. Uh, the Plotticus, which maybe is a dinosaur, but also a Twitter handle. Uh, what what are the tactical vulnerabilities that the United States uh, needs to exploit? I think we mentioned this already. It's um, England build quickly out of the back. They're very committed to that. Um, if the US presses, I think they can win the ball high. Because, we, didn't we say, yeah, we said that uh, England essentially weren't pressed at all until Norway in the second half. Mm-hmm. And when they did, suddenly Bright was misplacing passes. Uh, England returned the ball over. Um, so that that is where the England can be got at, I mm-hmm. think. I, I would agree with that. I would also say, though, that if you're the United States, if the pressing isn't working right away, the other thing you can do is just frustrate the options. If you, like, say, man mark the two like central midfielders for England, and you make it difficult to play wide, suddenly they have to slow down necessarily because they can't just find the kind of automatic options. And as soon as you have a team that's trying to play quickly, fast tempo, putting their foot on the ball and slowing down, you're forcing them to change oh, the way they play. So like slow down their tempo yeah. in a way that they definitely don't like. Do you remember, do you, we talked about how they do one and two touch passing yeah. to keep the keep mm-hmm. the tempo fast. Yeah, if they suddenly can't do it, Steph Houghton has to put a foot on top of the... If you yep. see Steph Houghton with a foot on top of the ball, yep. the US is doing something right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so I think those are the two ways. I think you can kind of probe the vulnerabilities with the pressure, but then also kind of keep England from establishing that quick rhythm. Yeah. Uh, I also think, as I've said a couple times, going at the English defense, not necessarily necessarily with individual dribbling. I'm sure the United States will do that, looking in Tobin Heath's direction. But also just quick, incisive passing through the middle and good combination passing. That also seems like a thing that England kind of struggle to deal with in terms of who steps and when and who tracks and who needs to kind of mark space. Yeah, it felt like England had... like I, I keep going back to that one moment with Norway where like Steph Houghton came charging out and Lucy Bronze was pulled out of it. And, it. and it just felt like in that moment that if the United States can find those quick combinations, they'll be able yeah. to find a way through. And that's the other tactical vulnerability is Lucy Bronze getting forward mm-hmm. wonderful as she is at doing it if she leaves her post then there's, there is space for Rapino to try and exploit right yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's a great match of Bronze yep. and Rapino agreed ready for the next question mm-hmm. okay next up do most of the English players play in England's domestic women's league it's the women's super league mm-hmm. um any elsewhere? What is the state of the league at the moment? Sure. Um, I, you can probably answer this better than I. I think, uh, for the most part, uh, most of the squad plays in England. Yep. You have a few exceptions. Uh, Daly, Rachel Daly, the right back we already mentioned, plays in NWSL yep. with Houston, I believe. Which is one of the arguments for her playing against the United yep. States is that she just is really familiar. For example, she's played against Rapino a bunch of times, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, and then Tony Duggan uh, plays for Barcelona. Although yep. I think she has said that she kind of wanted to be able to stay and play in England, but at the time that she was looking to continue her career or expand her career the league wasn't quite where it needed to be for her to play at that level so she yep. went to Barcelona uh, but I think what we'll see is more and more players staying in England and playing in England and it seems like they're migrating towards a couple clubs Man City being the biggest one yeah Man City I mean the actually the majority not the majority of the players the most represented mm-hmm. club when you look at the squad yep. list I have the squad list in front of me right now is Manchester City. Right. Uh, Nikita Parrish just left mm-hmm. to join Lyon, which is like the... It's like Valhalla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even before that, she was playing for, for Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, who else is in there? Like, Because like, it's not all like what you'd expect. Like, I think there would be an expectation that it's, oh, the biggest Premier League clubs all have a big fe- like like women's club. I mean, honestly, it's mostly Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea... See, but then it yeah. falls off because I feel like Birmingham City in there. Like basically, There's one. So Lucy Stanforth plays mm-hmm. for Birmingham City. Um, Jade Moore, the uh, defensive midfielder we talked mm-hmm. about, plays for Reading. Yeah, but yeah, outside of that, I mean, the only other exception is uh, Greenwood, the left back who we think won't start because Stokes is more defensive. She plays for Manchester United, mm-hmm. who are. On the up, but just won promotion from the second division. Exactly. They were not a women's Super League mm-hmm. top tier team. So the state of uh, 
women's football in England. Yeah. Um, first of all, banned from 1920 yep. to 1970, literally banned by the FA. Mm-hmm. That is what we were looking at with England. Yep. Um, finally, we're in the period where it's been embraced, one, by the FA, and two, by the big teams who are putting money into the women's teams. Mm. Manchester United's a really good example, right? They just didn't care for a while. Now they suddenly care and they've put money into it and now they're, they're getting promoted. Mm. Wolves, I think, are doing something similar. Part of the whole project is to try and get a better women's team. Um, uh, interest in this World Cup is absolutely gigantic, mm. right? My dad has never watched a women's soccer game before. He is all about the England team um, at this World Cup. He was like, t- t- yeah. talking to me excitedly today about, yeah, it's 8 o'clock, going to watch it tomorrow. I'm really excited. Um, then the other big thing is the Women's Super League um, has a sponsor for next season, and it's Barclays. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Barclays was like one of the first sponsors of the Premier League, mm-hmm. put a load of money into it, and also did a lot of promotion for it. So I've heard a lot of people who are very connected to the game in England talking about how, one, there's going to be money pumped into the league. Clubs will have more money because this big sponsorship, title sponsorship by Barclays. Mm-hmm. But two, Barclays will help keep the profile of the Women's Super League high because they do a lot of marketing activities a- around things that they sponsor. Yes. So. The present is really good, better than it's ever been. The future looks even brighter. Yeah. Oh, Lucy Brighter? Um, <laughs> yes, I would agree with everything you said. I would just add, uh, like, to my sort of somewhat informed, like, understanding, I, I feel like you could have a debate about NWSL versus uh, Ligue 1 Feminine uh, yeah. in terms of the quality of those two leagues, like, which one is better. And then I think of, like, the second tier right now probably being England and maybe Germany in there. Like, yeah. that, that's kind of how I would rank it right now. But I feel like if England continues to invest, it's one where we'll start to see more and more players yeah. heading that direction. And I am fascinated about how the NWSL teams compare mm-hmm. to, say, the English teams. I honestly wish there was some sort of... Um, International Champions Cup? Well, like, no, no, but not friendlies. Not overpriced friendlies where they charge you too much for a ticket. <laughs> like, almost like the Champions League, but maybe they should just invite NWSL teams into it. Just mm. make it like a women's Champions League soccer, and it's just, it's not just UEFA, it's all over the world, the very best teams. Like, maybe Santos come, and a bunch of US teams come. That could be really, really thrilling. Didn't right? Santos dissolve their women's team so they could pay Neymar? Yes. I mean, yeah, that was one of the, like, tragedies yeah. of Brazilian soccer, but then they undissolved it. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right, well, until that happens, we'll just answer some more questions. Questions. The next one coming from Sean Hardgrove, who I feel like stole half your name. Uh, will Daryl be dressing as Phil Neville to watch the game? What is Phil? Phil Neville dresses like a poor man's Gareth Southgate, right? So will you be dressing like a poor, poor man's Gareth Southgate? I don't. I don't. The only waistcoat I have is from my wedding. Is from your wedding, <laughs> and that is like more of like a tan. It is color, a tan, right? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I need. To, I'd have to dye that blue. Do you I have guess? your pocket watch? That's the question. Of course I do. Yeah, there we are. I would not lose that. I, there we are. So right. I bring my pocket watch in a monocle. Uh, do, do you own a monocle or are you going to break a lens out of a glass? I'm going to smash some glasses in half. Perfect. I think that's what you should do. <laughs> Sounds really safe, right? I should yeah, definitely 100%. Do yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the, it go wrong? the answer is no, but actually I have US jersey I always wear for mm-hmm. – I have a three stars t-shirt that I yep. wear for US women's games. And I have an England T-shirt with the three lines with on the it. The weird poor lion on the bottom. Yeah, with the weird, yeah, the runt of the litter. Yeah. I don't know what to do tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe I'll just wear something neutral. <laughs> What's a neutral color between England and the United States? Purple. Like like red and blue. Everybody's got red, blue, red, white, and blue, right? Yeah. So yeah, like mix all those together. I feel like you get purple. Okay, there we go. That's what I'm going to do. Or yeah. wear green and just throw it all off. <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? Sure. Uh, Gringa con gatos. Mm-hmm. That means she's got cats, right? Yes. Uh, can you comment on who the French fans will be supporting? Will they be supporting the Brits as Neville claims? I believe that's uh, white lady with cats. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. So so this is a strange one. She, she has uh, flower tortillas. Yes, <laughs> she does. Um, this is a strange one because this feels like one of those things that 
gets said and gets picked up and then becomes repeated as truth. Yeah. Uh, Phil Neville said in a press conference, we're the French second team now. Now that they their team are out, uh, they're supporting us, so we'll have the crowd on our side. The French people have got behind the story of our football. We are the team the French public want to win. The French support has been incredible. So I messaged Caitlin Murray oh, to yeah. ask okay. about this because I was like, is that true? And she she responded, I actually just went on an Irish podcast where I was asked this question. And Is she on the two captains? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but uh, she basically said, like, I'm not sure where this came from. Um, she said, I imagine that you'd rather lose to the eventual champion. The U.S. might be the villains to neutrals, but I'm, de- uh, but maybe I'm delusional. But I think the French respect that the United States outfought them in the quarterfinal. Shrug emoji. So I think this is a thing where maybe Phil Neville has just decided that they're the French team. Maybe he's trying to kind of play up that narrative that the United States are the evil empire, the villains, and that we're these kind of upstarts. Yeah. Who, we're the rebels. Yes. We're the rebel alliance. We're the upstarts <laughs> English empire. You know how they are. Uh, yes, I th- reverse, this is reverse 1776, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, but I, I also think that like what we have seen from this competition, from everything I've seen from the people who've been covering it, is that all the crowds have been very pro-America, except for the USA-France game. And even then, there was a very large pro-USA contingent. Yeah. So I would expect that to continue. So even if the French crowds are behind England more than they are the United States, and I yeah. don't even know if that's the case, I still think it would be a largely pro-US crowd so at the stadium. It's almost like Phil Neville has no concept of history and yeah. the rivalry between England and France. Maybe. And the weird relationship between France. Did you guys fight some wars? We sure did. For like hundreds of years? Yes. Like maybe one called a hundred years war? Uh-huh. Okay. So there's also <laughs> the weird relationship between uh, France and the United States. So we, there is a history of France supporting yeah. uh, the US like, rebelling against the British, yeah. mostly as they're, mostly uh, as part of France's yeah. rivalry with Britain. Or oh, naval blockade yeah. is important? Yes. I didn't know that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like TJ spending all that time in France, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah, thanks for Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> uh, next question. G- Gregory Michael. I remember uh, Kirby. Frank uh, Kirby. There we go. Being essential to the England team in 2015. Has her style of play or her role in the team changed under Phil Neville? So the answer is I don't know enough about what England did in 2015 yep. to really comment on that. Mm-hmm. I do know what Frank Kirby is doing in 2019. Let's talk right? about that. So she's operating as essentially a number 10. She's in the number 10 role. Um, she is the player that in the middle of the field, if there's any sort of scramble after because England attack kind of fast right she's the one that can calm it down without slowing the tempo mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah like I see her control the ball in tight spaces make sure that she maintains possession but also maneuver herself into a situation where she can flick a clever little through ball um, or you know spread it out wide again so that an attack down the wings can start again mm-hmm. so she's like the the weird sort of like uh like the ball sticks to her like it, she's like a magnet uh if things get wild in the attacking midfield zone. She's also someone who, if the US presses England and say Kirby receives the ball relatively deep, like in Mm -hmm. her own half, she's someone who I really think can accelerate. I'm not saying she's like super quick, but she has the skills and enough acceleration to suddenly break the lines through dribbling, right? She's someone who I can see Juliet's come sliding in on and Kirby like left foot step over and then cut to the right and she's like rounded Juliet a Juliet slide tackle and she's away. Like That's the threat of Frank Kirby. My, my very quick way of explaining this is that uh, Frank Kirby in this competition for me has been not Lucy Bronze as in mm-hmm. I'll see a player go on like a very smart dribbling run or play a very incisive pass through the lines or over the top and I'll say like oh is that Lucy Bronze? No, it was Frank Kirby. Like right. if that keeps happening. That's, that's England's second best player maybe is Frank Kirby. I, yeah, probably. I, I do love me some Jill Scott, and I've enjoyed Ellen White, and I've enjoyed Nikita Paris. But yes, <laughs> I've enjoyed most of England, I guess I should just say. <laughs> Ready for the next question? Sure. Um, okay. Um, mm. Matthew Doherty. Am mm. I in the right place here? Yeah. You got it. Um, 
is Morgan up top that much better than Kristen Press? Matthew thinks Press has more of a finishing touch. I have my concerns about Alex Morgan. I have since the beginning of the competition and even yeah. before to that. I think what I keep going back to is, uh, to mention it for the third time, a point made by Caitlin Murray, which is that Alex Morgan, what she brings to this team isn't just goal scoring. Yes, she scored goals specifically against Thailand, but it's about the runs she makes, the hold-up play, the threat she offers that pulls in other defenders, just the awareness that it's Alex Morgan, we better triple-team her, which yep. leaves space for other players. So I think, to again, to steal to crib from Caitlin Murray, basically, if the United States is scoring goals, even if Alex Morgan is not, she will continue to start because she knows the rhythms, she knows the patterns mm-hmm. of play, she knows how to play off of her teammates better than anybody else. Yeah, so yeah, what you're essentially saying is Morgan can do a lot of back-to-goal stuff. Morgan can and also win mm-hmm. flick-ons and things like that. Yep. I don't see that in Kristen Press's game. Kristen Press, to me, is more someone who wants to face the goal, face a defender, go at them, right? And that is why Kristen Press actually isn't the, even the rival for Alex Morgan's starting position. Mm-hmm. Kristen Press is probably the sub for Morgan. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry the sub for either Rapino yep. or Heath. You keep seeing her come in on the wings and be really dangerous, mm-hmm. right? But the, the competition for Morgan's starting spot is... First, probably Carly Lloyd, mm-hmm. and then second, uh, Jess McDonald. Yep. Right? But it's going to be Morgan to start. Yes, it will. Because here's, of everything she offers outside of goal scoring. Here's, my, about. here's my follow-up question for you, though, is that we've seen Alex Morgan uh, since the Spain game taking some knocks. She got a bunch of hits against Spain, kicked, shoved, knocked over. Uh, we saw a lot of that again against France. We saw Alex Morgan on the ground plenty of times against France. Yeah. Do you think that is something that England will try to do as well? Will they track her out? Will they knock her in the air? Will they like maybe like leave a stud in when they don't necessarily need to? Is that part of their game plan? I mean, if you've seen, if you watch, if England watched the Spain game, mm-hmm. they might think, hey, that might work. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I could see. I don't know how violent Steph Houghton is. Yeah. I don't know how violent Bright is, but I can see them making some tough challenges on Alex Morgan because honestly, otherwise, if you don't do the reason teams do that is if you don't do that she's probably going to dominate you in the air she's probably going to have loads of flick-ons and loads of connections where she like receives the ball and lays it out wide to Morgan and Rapino. you kind of you almost have to beat her up or she's going to beat you I I, I think that is genuinely the answer is that you'd rather knock her out of the air and if it's a free kick it's a free kick then let her bring the ball down turn and go at you because you can't really do that once she's already beaten you and is in on goal absolutely and then there's a chance for Alex Morgan if England do like go up the field really aggressively and leave space in behind. Mm. The thing she hasn't been allowed to do in this tournament because teams have been a bit deeper is use that bit of pace to run in. She loves to like hang on the line yep. and get in behind, right? Mm-hmm. She could do that if England leave her space. So we could see the other side of Alex Morgan in this game. We could. Yeah. I go back to, final quick thing, I go back to my point about the midfield though, is that if we see Alex Morgan getting knocked around, looking like maybe she can't go in the 30th minute, which has happened in, in this tournament, and I yeah, feel like yeah. this happened multiple times she's in this th- tournament. She's taken a knee, basically. Yeah, we thought she was going to need to be yeah. subbed. I hope that there are plans for what to do if Alex Morgan can't go or looks like she's having an off night because she is yeah. getting banged up. I think the plan is bring Carly Lloyd in. That would right? make sense. It's, it usually seems to be. Final question, which yeah. I'm going to ask to you because I feel like you are slightly more qualified than I to answer. I mean, watch out for my answer. Anthony Galabrese, <laughs> uh, why does the Daily Mail hate America so much? So yeah, a lot of these hotel stories mm-hmm. um, have been published by the Daily Mail. Other stories about like the US being arrogant are published by the Daily Mail. Was it the Daily Mail who did the easy one for the 2010 World Cup? That was the sun. Okay, yeah, of course who it was. Equally as bad. Yeah. But essentially, if you don't know about the Daily Mail... It is an absolute right-wing rag Mm -hmm. in England. It is like the most pro-Brexit, anti-immigrant thing. They are against everything that isn't white English people. Okay. Um, So... And like, so when England, for example, are in a tournament and they have an opponent, you can guarantee the Daily Mail will want to smear the opponent and say terrible things about them because that appeals to their their audience who consider themselves patriotic. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that, that must be Does really difficult. Yeah, that must Are be really just... difficult to have that because like, we have nothing like that in the Wait, United it's, States. It's so. like Fox News, but they print it on newspaper. Yeah, I know, I'm kidding, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we have so many of those. It's Fox News, but you can use it for fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> you could, but then the fish and chips are really angry <laughs> and don't like chips that have been caught in Europe or fish that have been caught in Europe. And then as well as just having that sort of xenophobic, mm-hmm. terrible editorial stance, really pulling no punches here, um, they want you to click on articles. Right? Yep. There's a whole separate arm of the Daily Mail, which is just their online stuff. And they publish mm-hmm. a load of stuff online. And they're very good at getting people to click on headlines, essentially through making you angry. Yeah, right? and, and that's and, that. So the same editorial stance goes through to the internet stuff. And it's like the uh, the old line about Howard Stern when he was first coming up that it was like people who like love Howard Stern listen to him for like two hours a day. People who hate Howard Stern listen to him for three hours a day because yeah. they hate him so much they want to know what he's going to do next. Same yeah. for people who like him. And that's the kind of thing here is like if you have a really inflammatory headline that appeals to your far right wing terrible base, yep. uh, then. You're going to do that, but if, if you're offended by it, if you're angry about it, then you're still going to click it to be like, well, what are they saying now? Yep, and then they make money on the ads. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I would say to everybody, don't click on any Daily Mail stuff. Don't. You, you'll only encourage them. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> all right, no more questions. No more questions. You answered all the questions. I think you said this show should be about 30 minutes. Where are we at? Uh, slightly longer than that. Slightly longer than that. We're at all our right. usual almost an hour. Buy one Total Soccer Show, get another one free. That's, <laughs> that's the deal that we offer. Um, anything else to add on this game, Taylor? No, I'm just very excited for the game. Yeah. On the whole, I'm going to avoid antagonizing you deliberately tomorrow with American things. That means you might do it accidentally. I might, yeah. And also maybe we'll deliberately. <laughs> so again, it's what, Tuesday, 3 o'clock Eastern uh, kickoff. We will, of course, be here in studio to watch with a review soon after. We hope you'll join us for both. We certainly do. All right. Well, there's only so much room in the office, though. This is true. Um, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And go USA and go England.